Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. From the first arrival of Europeans in North America to the middle of the 19th century, Catholics formed a minority that was largely ignored by America's Protestant majority. That changed with the wave of immigration from Ireland and Germany in the 1840s and 50s. So in the decade before the Civil War, American Catholics fought against nativist prejudice for equal civil rights even as many of them also embraced pro-slavery ideology that denied equality to others. During the war, Catholics played active roles fighting both for and against the U.S. government. So if you like your history black and white with clear good guys and bad guys, you won't want to listen to any of the conversation upcoming with Robert Emmett Curran, author of American Catholics and the Quest for Equality in the Civil War Era. That's tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University here in Greenville, North Carolina, back where we usually do the show. But although we're back on campus, I'm not speaking for ECU or the UNC system or anybody but myself and our guests likewise will do the same. Well, it's good to be back here. Last week's show, I was broadcasting from home uh, because uh, Mrs. Prokopovich was off taking group of students on an overseas trip. She's back home safely after uh, being awake 24 hours straight while flying from Germany to little Greenville, North Carolina, uh, hopefully uh, recovering from that and, and able to resume her teaching duties later this week. Uh, meanwhile, here on campus, uh, last week, oh, the Pirates came within one score of beating nationally ranked Tulane. But a loss is a loss. Our team is one and eight this year. It's it's very unfortunate season. It has got me to the point of actually paying some attention to the NFL, which I, I normally don't do. Uh, but this year, my my boyhood team, the team I first rooted for when I was uh, very small, was uh, that's the Detroit Lions. They're doing well for the first time in my lifetime. I'm afraid cheering for them may jinx them, though. So. So I'm actually looking for a new team to follow. Uh, old timers, old listeners to the show, you may remember Greenville Stars youth soccer when uh, U8s and U10s, U12s up up the ladder. My daughters uh, each played on those teams, and I coached some of them. And I shared with you every week the thrilling ups and downs, mostly downs in terms of scoring, of of the Greenville Stars. Well, of course. The, the kids are grown up now. They are adults. They have jobs and lives of their own. Uh, but I was corresponding with the listener last week about his son Aiden's travel hockey team. That may be my new uh, 
go to? I, uh, so, uh, Aiden, if you're listening now, how are you guys doing this season? Should I get on the bandwagon? Let me know. Here on campus, uh, one thing that is going well is the weekly history games gathering down in the history lab, something my, my late colleague uh, Wade Dudley started many years ago. And uh, this year I've tried to take up his mantle and get a group of students together to play history-related games, usually military-related, uh, but not always. And uh, this past week we played a game called Blockade Runner that involves uh, each of the players uh, is a entrepreneur in during the Civil War, and your goal is to to make the most money. You win by making money. It's very capitalistic, and but it sets the classic problem: you make the most money if you bring in black market goods, but if collectively you all the runners don't bring in enough military goods, uh, war supplies, then the blockade tightens and ports fall and it becomes harder to bring anything in more likely to get your ship captured so you have to do what's good for the cause but you want to do what's good for yourself uh, classic economic uh, dilemma and, and we had a fun time playing it and people learned something from it but what really warmed my heart as an instructor was uh, one of the students uh, is writing a term paper on blockade runners in a class that I'm teaching and he got to talking with another student there, a graduate student, whose thesis is on blockade runners. And by the time the afternoon was over, the two of them are talking. The older grad student is sharing sources and ideas with the younger student. And I'm just thinking, this this is what how it's supposed to go. I, I just step away and let students educate each other on this. And, and both of them come away feeling, I'm not the only person who thinks blockade running is fascinating. Uh, unlike all the other people down in the dorm, let's say. So it, it it's good to see that happening once in a while. Also good to see happening is uh, who's going to be on the show next week, which will be November 15th, 2023, Andrew Dalton, director of the Beyond the Battle Museum in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. It's just off the battlefield. We'll learn what it is, where it is, why it's there. Uh, but I've been there. It's it's uh, a great museum. If you're traveling to Gettysburg, go see it. We'll not have a live show the week of Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, November 22. But we'll come back on the 29th with hopefully both co-editors of a new book of essays called Wars Civil and Great, the American Experience in the Civil War and World War One. It's interesting contrast. Uh, those editors are Canisorn, Wong's Rich Anali, and David Sibley, and hopefully we'll have them both here. We'll wrap up the fall season on December 6th with John Banks in his book, A Civil War Road Trip of a Lifetime, Antietam, Gettysburg, and Beyond. Haven't read it yet. Curious to see what's in it. We'll take the uh, month of December off to grade final exams and enjoy the holiday. And we'll come back in January, on January 10th, with Elizabeth Varon and her brand new biography of James Longstreet that people are already talking about. So lots coming up. You can always find out more at impedimentsofwar.org, the Civil War Talk Radio website, or the uh, Impediments of War Facebook page. Mark Gaffney runs them both, and he makes sure that always ready for your fingertip uh, or your mouse button, I suppose, uh, on the website is the PayPal button that leads to the donation opportunity. Contribute to the Civil War Talk Radio book fund uh, also called the Bourbon Fund, also the Book and Bourbon Fund. For a minute this week, I thought it was going to be the uh, new heat pump fund, but it turned out it was just a minor valve repair, so so we're not going to deflect your funds into something like that. Whatever we do with them, it's not for a good cause. It's not tax deductible. It's not contributing to anything, but my well-being in being able to buy more books for the show and your well-being and able to sleep soundly at night knowing that you have done your share to keep Civil War Talk Radio going while many listeners around the world have have done nothing. Uh, you don't want to be one of those. Uh, 
Well, thank you all to uh, those who have contributed in the past, especially recurring donations. A, a small $5 recurring donation is a big thing and much appreciated. Uh, let's get to our topic tonight. We're here to talk Civil War uh, with our guest. Uh, he is Robert Emmett Curran. He is a, a professor emeritus at, I want to say, Georgetown University. Let's let's not guess. Let's find out. Uh, Professor Curran, are you there? I am. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, did I get that right? Is Georgetown your uh, yes? Former? I was. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an emeritus professor of history from Georgetown University in the nation's capital. Well, an, an important place and one with connections to the Civil War and uh, very uh, much so uh, to to. Uh, uh, Catholicism, to slavery, to all kinds of things we'll be talking about tonight. Um, so so you taught history there. Uh, when did you retire, if I can ask? Uh, I retired in 2004, so I've been retired for some years. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, retirement uh, brought me to Kentucky because that's where our grandchildren were. So uh, we, uh, we made the move from D.C. out to uh, beyond the Appalachians, and uh, have been here for the last nearly going on 20 years now. Uh, but obviously not uh, inactive. Uh, you've written this, this book. No, just indeed. Uh, retirement has been a, a real boon for my scholarship and publishing. Um, I think I've published eight books since I retired, uh, which is far more than I was able to published while I was actually on the faculty at Georgetown. So it's been, um, it's been a great experience. Well, that, that's really encouraging to hear. I'm, I'm a few years away yet, uh, mm-hmm. but, but that idea that, uh, that one can finally get the time to, to do some serious research and writing mm. when the, the students aren't around or the dean's not around or the committees are not around or the constant... All of that, uh, yes. <laughs> I don't mean to give you flashbacks, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so this book, uh, American Catholics and the Quest for Equality in the Civil War Era, uh, I, uh, I found it fascinating. I thought it was really uh, uh, had a, a lot to say about a, a, a topic that's much bigger than I think a lot of people may recognize, when, even if they've read a lot about the Civil War. Uh, you start with uh, a chapter on the Mexican War. Mm-hmm. Which, which I found very enlightening, uh, and maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, the, the well, let me take one step back. Um, Catholics in the United States today are, you know, a substantial number, but very much part of the mainstream uh, yes. culturally. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's not the case in the early 19th century. Uh, how? How marginal was Catholicism in in the United States before the Civil War? Well, before the Civil War, the as you in uh, <clears throat> intimated in your uh, introduction, the uh, the Catholics were really a, a very insignificant presence. Um, although they had, even though they were about one percent of the population at the time, they they played a substantial role in the American Revolution. Um, including uh, Charles Carroll of, of uh, Maryland, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, and a number of um, um, Catholic uh, military figures, uh, and of course the the foreign Catholics who played uh, a major role in the you know the military performance of the uh, of the uh, the Patriots during the war, and most. Of all, the uh, the role that Catholic France played in the the winning of the revolution of for the uh, for the Patriots. Um, so uh, they, but but well into the 19th century, Catholics were um, uh, continued to be about one to two percent of the population. But then, as you mentioned, in the 1840s, three. Three things occurred in that period that changed the demographics of the Catholic community completely. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> was the 
the conversion of American Protestants to Catholicism. There was something like 60,000 Americans who converted to the Catholic faith between 1845 and 1860, I believe. Secondly, you had the Mexican-American War, in which the United States acquired basically half of Mexico, and that added another 75 to 100,000 people to the Catholic population. But the major factor was the immigration, which in the 1840s and 50s, you had an unprecedentedly high level of immigration, something like more people came in in the period of the 1850s than had come into the country in all seven decades before that. So it was an enormous um, immigration of millions of people. And what was unusual about that seismic tide of immigrants was that for the first time it was overwhelmingly Catholic coming from um, Ireland and from Catholic states within the uh, the German within Germany um, so um, that really changed uh, matters uh, completely because suddenly by 1850 these Catholics which had been this insignificant sect within the American society suddenly is the largest denomination, Christian denomination in the country. And people took note of this and saw this as a, a real threat to American culture and to American society. Now, and that led you, to the nativist movement. That's what I want to ask about. Now, you, you say they're the largest uh, sect uh, within American Christianity, they're still very much a minority compared to evangelical Protestants, Protestantism oh, yeah. I mean, but, as a whole. I'm speaking in terms of denominations. Right. So they were, although the, the combination of Methodists and Baptists, uh, Lutherans, Episcopalians, you know, um, Congregationalists, they would have together, you know, still been far larger than Catholics. Mm -hmm. Individually, Catholics were the largest denomination suddenly. Well, that and really people, a, people noticed that. It, it um, did have a, a deep political uh, and cultural effect. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll come back. We'll have some announcements. We'll be right back in just a few minutes and talk more with our guest tonight, Robert Emmett Curran. Uh, he is the author of American Catholics and the Quest for Equality in the Civil War Era. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. 
If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Robert Emmett Curran, author of American Catholics and the Quest for Equality in the Civil War Era. We've been talking about the surge in numbers of Catholics in the United States during the 1850s. And Emmett, you said that they that there's a nativist reaction, that native-born Americans, not not Native Americans, not Indians, but, but native-born uh, Euro-Americans ob- objected right. to this. Yes. W- what did they find? What, what upset them? Because uh, going back to colonial times, Catholics were seen as um, an alien force who owed their loyalty primarily to a foreign pontiff. And so that suspicion, that 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 uh, that disposition stuck through the 19th century, well into the 19th century, so that when you had suddenly this mass of Catholics showing up on American shores, they saw this as a infestation that was going to uh, threaten American traditional culture. And a group whose loyalty could not really be trusted because they had this loyalty, a religious loyalty, to a person who was the head of a state, the Pope. So that led to this organized um, nativist movement that uh, became a political movement in the mid-1850s and looked for a time that it was going to become one of the leading parties in the country. In fact, they, they had tremendous political success in 's up the the question of, of loyal to to who or what exactly. um, and yeah. y- you make the point in in the book that, that the I, ideologically the Catholic Church in the United States uh, tended to be more pro-slavery than than not uh, is that accurate yes, yes why why so. why so well be, 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 uh, um, I think they, a number of reasons. First of all, they thought that what church teaching did uphold traditional slavery. Um, secondly, uh, they identified the anti-slavery movement with anti-Catholics. And so that predisposed them to oppose abolition. Thirdly, the Catholic community had been very um, impacted by refugees from the Haitian Revolution in the 1890s, I mean the 1790s. They moved into uh, Catholic areas of settlement in Baltimore and in, in Philadelphia and New Orleans and the like. And that had a, a real impact that, that outlasted that uh, migration by decades about the fear of what abolition would bring, that it would bring uprising, 
for all those reasons, they tended to favor slavery. So when the the war was declared in 1861, uh, the Catholics on both sides, you know, rallied to the to their respective flags. But in the North, particularly, um, Catholic leaders made it clear that if the war suddenly became a war against slavery, they could no longer count on Catholic loyalty. Mm. And that became the test, of course, in 1862, when Abraham Lincoln decided, primarily for military reasons, that he had to abolish slavery. And the Catholic reaction was violent. Well, let's talk about that. The the reaction, um, and the, as as you suggest, a lot of Catholics see it, abolition. I got the impression that uh, there's a certain amount of pro-slavery sentiment among American Catholics based mm-hmm. on uh, you know traditional well, biblical readings. Yeah, but but sure, even stronger was the, the anti-abolitionist. Oh, go ahead. So well, it, it seemed as much of it was, as you also had the fact that. Historically, Catholic America before the 1840s was located in the South, and Catholics had more than their share of slaves among them. Um, so it had that those roots as well to shape their thinking. Hmm. So and, and that that had a uh, that had a real influence on the the larger Catholic community once this. Migration, this immigration took place in the 1840s and 50s. So I think so, for all those reasons, yeah, you had Catholic, the Catholic community largely favorably predisposed towards slavery at the beginning of the war. Now, in your book, when when the from the time the war begins, uh, in the book you give really a, a blow by blow account of the war, touch on many of the major events that happened during the war uh, with shown from the angle of, of Catholic participation. Uh, so one, one of the things that stood out I want to ask about is, is the, the U.S. Army. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you're, I'm sure familiar with, with Stephen Woodworth's book uh, uh, about religion and soldiers' religion in the Civil War. And, and yes. one of the things mm-hmm. about that book that, that – I, I, that I found a little uh, uh, odd was that the title implies it's about soldiers' religion, but then you read it, and it's about evangelical Protestants. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mention mm-hmm. Jews, Muslims, Catholics, right. and he yeah. and he says that in the introduction. He's not going to talk about Catholics, mm-hmm. but yeah, you've already told us it, you've told us what a large percentage the Catholic population is. That's got to be prevalent in the army as well. Um, yeah, how, they, they, they were probably. Well, they certainly in the regular army they were very overrepresented. Uh, probably as, as much as forty percent of the right now it's very small, you know, it's less than twenty thousand. But but right. uh, probably Catholics and most of most of them would have been Irish. Mm-hmm. Counted for up to forty percent of the uh, the army's uh, ranks. Um, so. The, the, and in the Civil War, I think uh, that does not hold that in American um, Irish, particularly, were underrepresented on both sides during the war. Um, so, but but I I I chose to focus in such particular detail. On the um, on the um, discrete battles, because mm-hmm. I wanted to show the role that the, the uh, it, to my mind disproportionate role that Catholics played in the fighting and the winning of the war. Now, to, to do that, I admit I cast my net in defining Catholics pretty broadly. I mean, you'll know that I, um, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman is a major figure in, in my telling. Now, Sherman had been 
taken in as a foster child and baptized by a very devout Catholic mother. And he, to his dying day, he ever refused to profess that he was a Catholic. But he was baptized. His wife, um, Ellen, tried for decades to get him to practice his faith. He never did, but he received the last sacraments. He was buried as a Catholic. Anyway, I treat him as a Catholic. I treat James Longstreet as a Catholic, who did become a Catholic, but not until 1877. So I, I do cast the net widely, but I think the Catholics that were that were uh, an extraordinary number of Catholics who who played significant roles in the winning of the war. I make the point that um, um, in the campaigns that really assured Lincoln's reelection, mm-hmm. the three people responsible for those successful campaigns, Sherman, Sheridan, and Tom Ewing in Missouri. The interesting thing about this is all three of those people were from the same Catholic parish in Lancaster, Ohio. Mm. That, that is so a remarkable uh, concentration. Yeah, it, it was a remarkable, but it, that was that was the reason I gave such particular detail uh, to the uh, the battles to, to show the the role. For instance, at Gettysburg, I'd make the point mm-hmm. on the second day. You know, there were five Catholic Catholic uh, generals on the Union side, who played really pivotal roles in the turning back of the Confederate offenses during that day. So that's that's the reason I did that. Uh, That makes perfect sense. We're going to take another short break. Uh, We'll come back in just a moment. We'll talk more with our guest tonight, Robert Emmett Curran. He's the author of American Catholics and the Quest for Equality in the Civil War Era. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio.
so uh, Emmett, we were talking about uh, some some of the well known individuals uh, in the who were Catholic during the Civil War. Uh, Sherman, you mentioned Longstreet. Uh, the one who comes to my mind immediately is William Rosecrans, who who liked to talk theology with his staff till they when they wanted to go to sleep. Uh, what other famous uh, military leaders or civilian leaders? Would listeners recognize uh, who might not, and they might not realize they were Catholic? Oh, not know that they were Catholics. Well, I mean, who, who were notably uh, involved in? Well, you had people like uh, Rusty's Brownson, uh, who was a uh, well-known publisher at the time. Um, um, he, uh, a New York-based. Uh, uh, published uh, Brownson's Quarterly, and he was one of the first Catholics to come out in favor of abolition in 1862. Um, he is certainly um, um, one. Um, and then you had... Um, what? Well, uh, yes? Let's, let's pursue Brownson for a minute, because I was going to ask you about him. He you mentioned that most American Catholics tended toward a pro-slavery view, but Brownson is an exception, uh, and there were yeah. others. It made me think of the, uh, uh, the the Catholic Church during the Vietnam War era. Uh, you had people like Father Berrigan, who espoused liberation mm-hmm. theology, who, who who pushed against the main views of the Church mm-hmm. uh, in a much mm-hmm. more progressive direction, and Brownson is certainly mm-hmm. one. Were there others besides uh, Brownson who, who pushed in uh, in an anti-slavery direction? Yeah, you had. Um, uh, there were a few Catholic bishops, notably mm-hmm. Bishop Edward. I mean, um, uh, John Purcell was mm-hmm. the Archbishop of Cincinnati, and he became um, the leading figure within the American hierarchy who was pushing for abolition, and uh, that, that uh, stirred a real reaction to him among the American bishops. Uh, they were at one point trying to get Rome to silence him, and another point to get Rome to force him to resign. So he, uh, he certainly paid a price for his uh, you know, anti-slavery position. So did Rome itself, did the Vatican take a position on slavery during the war? That's an interesting question. Uh, From the beginning of the war, uh, both sides were trying to get the the Holy See or the Vatican to basically come in on their side to either favor the independence of the South or to uh, support the Union in their effort to put down this rebellion. So you had Bishop Hughes, Thomas uh, John Hughes, the Archbishop of New York, being sent on a mission by the Lincoln government to Europe and to make the case with the Pope and other European heads that they, be, they should be supporting or coming out in favor of uh, the Union's effort to preserve the Union. Um, on the other side, you had um, the uh, Confederacy sending the bishop, Catholic bishop of Charleston, Patrick Lynch, to Rome to try to convince the Pope and the Holy See that they should, if not recognize the Confederacy, at least to uh, express their favorability toward the, uh, the Confederacy. So he goes over in 1864. He has a, um, a meeting with the Pope, and uh, he's disappointed that uh, the Pope says, well, you know, we can't come out and, and say that uh, we oppose slavery. We, we just can't. I mean, we favor slavery. We can't do that. So Bishop Lynch decided that the reason the Pope was taking the stand was because no one had really made the case why slavery was perfectly compatible with both Christianity and democracy. 
So he writes mm. a pamphlet in three languages, Italian, German, and French, which he labors on all through the summer of 1864, brings us out in the fall of 1864, and is surprised that he gets no favorable reaction from any of the uh, official channels in, in Rome. But what had happened, unbeknownst to Bishop Lynch, was that Isaac Tecker, who was a well-known Catholic priest in New York City, um, Isaac Tecker had persuaded the papal consulate in New York City to petition Rome that they should come out and condemn slavery. Mm. And this was the best thing he thought he could do to win the war. Mm-hmm. So the consular got Rome to take up the issue, and they assigned a, 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 a congregation of the Holy See to examine the question, which they did. And their finding was that um, not only was Christianity not compatible with slavery, slavery was totally antithetical to all that Christianity stood for. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> the um, Holy See decided that they could, they would not be able to make this public at the time. So as a result, Holy See never did come out and publicly condemn slavery. It wasn't until three decades later that they mm-hmm. finally came out and condemned the people in cyclical. So. That was uh, what came of the efforts on both sides to try to get the Vatican to come in on their side. Well, I, I suppose better late than never in that case. But, <laughs> but interesting yeah, how but the, they were the quite late, quite late. And, and interesting how the Confederacy made this effort, uh, and and for them the silence must have been deafening uh, that, that the, the Pope did not yes, come out in was, favor. Uh, the uh, they were they were keenly interested. In fact, they had they had sent earlier agents over before Bishop Lynch, including uh, Rose Greenow, Rose mm-hmm. O'Neill Greenow. Yeah, the, uh, you know the spy. At, uh, she was a Catholic, and she uh, she became a uh, a commissar for the Confederacy in 1863, and uh, lobbied for them in Europe, um, and uh, had some modest success, but never really got any firm commitments, and uh, came back to the Confederacy and drowned about a mile from shore. Her her ship, she she was on a blockade runner. You talked about Mm -hmm. blockade runners at the beginning of the show. She was on a blockade runner that was being pursued by a federal vessel, and they struck a reef. So she didn't want to be discovered, so she got into a, a, a small boat and was carrying, I don't know, how many hundreds of um, English pounds in gold, mm-hmm. and had this in a satchel while the rowboat ends up getting swamped, and she refused to let go of the satchel and drowned. Wow. So uh, a high price to pay for that uh, High that price mission. to pay for her Confederate service. So the the church the, the the church, uh, the Vatican itself, does not speak out against slavery. Uh, it does seem like there's some evolution as the war goes on. You mentioned Brownson, Orestes Brownson as an example, uh, among some Catholics in the North uh, coming over to accept that the war mm-hmm. against slavery is, is acceptable. Mm-hmm. But I was struck by your, your discussion of the post-war world and how 
reluctant many American Catholics were in the North as well as the South to accept the idea that that slavery was over or that it had been wrong in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think you, you should realize that, you know, the, the, the as I said, the <laughs> blanket emancipation proclamation really turned off so much of the Catholic community in the North. The Catholic support for the war declined precipitously after that. And it led some of them to begin to actively oppose the war and, um, uh, in, in fact, conspiring with the Confederacy, some of them did, conspiring with the Confederacy to somehow overturn the Union from within and um, and uh, split off perhaps sections of the North to form new Confederations. So you had the, the main one who was uh, involved in that was I'm blanking on the name, but he was the editor of the... Uh, of the uh, Catholic uh, Journal, and he became a leading figure in the Sons of Liberty and was involved in the attempt to burn down New York City in mm. November of 1864. Um, so, I mean, that was, that, that was a major development within the Catholic community. But after the war, I think um, Catholics, by and large, um, you know, really refused to accept the inevitable fruits of emancipation that these um, freed slaves should somehow become integral parts of American society. So they became great supporters of um, Andrew Johnson in his um, his opposition to Reconstruction and. Uh, and in the South, Catholics played pivotal roles in certainly in South Carolina, in Virginia, and in New Orleans in uh, overturning Reconstruction. I mean, it's not uh, it's not accidental that when Reconstruction ended in Louisiana in 1877, that the um, reception for the incoming um, Democratic governor of New the, the uh, Redeemer governor of mm-hmm. uh, Louisiana, that that reception was held in a Catholic parish hall right off the Capitol. Um, they had played a key role in bringing down the last state of, of reconstructing government. Uh, certainly, the the hostility to abolitionism that that comes through in throughout the book uh, from Catholics uh, North and South uh, is 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 quite striking. The the desire for a uh, a hierarchical non revolutionary world, uh, as you, you you trace back, you point out the Haitian mm-hmm. survivors of the Haitian Revolution. You mentioned the French Revolution even as a a, yeah. a yeah. searing event in in Catholic memory. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so you find this this resistance, and then there there is of course the irony in, in even the title of your book, the quest for equality in the Civil War era. Um, you know, people like like uh, Christian Semito have argued that uh, Irish Americans gained citizenship by their loyalty and military service, and and are treated much more as part of the mainstream after the war. But uh, but the irony is that they they don't yield these. Their, their racial inequality views in terms of what their vision of equality was it was very very limited to certain groups well, and certain groups just didn't didn't fit in uh, preeminently uh, you know American blacks. No, they they do not feature in that vision. Um, we have just a couple minutes left. Let me ask you, uh, you, you said you've written eight books since retirement. Are you working on anything new? Well, um, yes, I've actually got two books out with uh, presses right now. One was a spinoff. This book originally was twice the length that, that it was published in. Mm. Um, 
and LSU said, well, we just can't publish anything of that size. So I had to eliminate, oh, several chapters on uh, Catholics in prison, uh, Catholics um, in the um, um, Catholics as chaplains and nurses during the war. There were a number of uh, chapters. I had. So what I did was I basically put together a number of those chapters and um, have put another book together entitled Catholics Becoming Americans hmm. from Papist Devils to Lost Cause Adherence. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful I'm going to find a receptive publisher out there. And I've got another book out there. I, one of the books I uh, did was on the wartime correspondent of the Lynch family. I mentioned Patrick Lynch. He had a remarkable family of Irish-American immigrants who... I, but I, I'm afraid I'm going anyway, to I'm, I'm have to trying, cut you I'm off. To, I published a book with South Carolina Press on that, and I'm, I've got a sequel on their correspondence during Reconstruction, so I'm hoping well, to place that as well. But they both sound fascinating, and the, the carrying on the tradition of this book, which is called American Catholics and the Quest for Equality in the Civil War Era. Its author is Robert Emmett Curran, who has been our guest tonight. Um, uh, I, listeners, thank you for listening. I apologize. We had some difficulties with the sound quality. Uh, but the book merits uh, merits your reading. If you're the least bit interested in the topic, you'll enjoy this book. Uh, Emmett, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. Thank you, Jerry. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.